Well, it's good to be here with you once again to visit with people who want to know the will of the Lord and be preparing for what's soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. We know it can't be long. Jesus wants to come back, and we want to learn all the lessons of faith and trust that God has given us the ability to learn. Could this light maybe behind it, is this interfering with what you're able to see? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be present once again to give us eyesight to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are willing to do all that you've asked us to do. That all is by faith in Jesus as our Savior. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our scripture reading this morning, it says, Ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not in all these, that the hand of the Lord has wrought this, whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. Are there a lot of things in nature that God has given us that could help us understand his will? Are there creatures that he's given us that we can look at and learn lessons of faith and trust in times of need? Today, I want to ask you a question first. If you were to, somebody were to ask you the question, what is the king of beasts, what would you say? The lion. Why would you say the lion is the king of beasts? Is there any beast normally that would try to attack the lion? No, they're pretty much afraid of it. Now, I'm not saying that the elephant and the hippo and the rhino are afraid of it, but none of them are going to attack the lion. It's called the the king of beasts. Well, let me ask you another question. If you were to go to the Serengeti Plain in Tanzania and Kenya, what would probably be the most important beast you would find there? Do you have any idea? Say the most important. Do you, can you see what these? This is up here. It's probably. Do you know what animals are on there? Let's go to the next picture and see if we can see it. Do you know what animal that is? Wildebeest. What's its official name that the Africans gave? GNU, and how do you pronounce it? GNU. The GNU. GNU maybe is the most important animal in that area. Why would that be? Do you know how many wildebeest there are? About 1.3 million. How many elephants do you suppose there are in that area? 8,500. How many lions in that area? 3,000. So you have 1.3 million wildebeest. What makes them so important? (laughs) 
If it wasn't for them, many of the other animals would not have any food. How can that be possible? Think of this. What does, a wildebeest is like an antelope type of animal. A mature one is just under or just over 300 pounds. They're kind of, you can see, an ungainly looking animal. Their rear end is smaller than it might, you might think it should be. It has that hump just in front of its front legs. It has a long head, has kind of a square mouth here, muzzle. And yet, this animal provides, helps provide food for all the others. How is that? What do they eat? They eat grass. If you had 1.3 million animals eating grass, what do they leave behind? A lot of fertilizer. So the dung beetles are able to then break down the dung and the desert is able to utilize it. And what does, they, what does that create? More grass. And the grass is shorter so that more animals can eat it. And then also trees are able to grow. And as trees grow, what does that provide? Food for giraffes. And also then if the grass provides food for the hippos and the rhinos and the elands and the impalas and the zebras. Because if you went back to 1961, there were 260,000 canoes or wildebeest. By 1977, there were 1.4 million. They eliminated one of the diseases and they were able to flourish. And as a result of that, many of the other animals of Africa have flourished too because they provided food. And what else have they provided food for? Lions, hyenas, crocodiles, cheetahs, leopards. 1.3 million, about right now, of them. Every year, about in February, 500,000 babies are born. They're born in the open. February in southern uh, Tanzania. They're born out in the open, in the daylight. Why would they be born in the daylight? What do the predators eat? Many of them at night. So they're born in the daylight, about 24,000 a day, until 500,000 babies are born. So now you've got Instead of 1.3, you've got 1.8 million. What happens to all the food? It gets eaten up. So about this time, what has to take place if these animals are going to live? They go on what's called the Great Migration. Probably the greatest migration of animals on the face of the earth. They go on a 1,750-mile Migration every year going from south to north and back to the south. And along the way, what happens to all of those? 
You know, as they're born in 24,000 a day, these babies are able to get up and stand within an hour. Within a day, they're able to travel with the herd. And they can travel up to five days without food or water. Picture that. So there's a lot of things that are happening, but when you have that many babies being born in one spot, what do you think is happening with the predators? They're starting to have a feast, are they not? And so the, the lions, the cheetahs, the hyenas, they prey on the young, on the feeble, and yet the canoes or the wildebeest realize we can't stay here. So what, do, what drives the wildebeest in its migration? What pushes it forward and onward? It's not fear. It's a need for food. And the thing that happens is they, they can hear. They can hear the thunder rolling. And during the rainy season, what happens when the thunder starts rolling? The rain comes. And when the rain comes, what happens then? Grass is growing somewhere else other than where they're at. Does that make sense? So when they hear the thunder and their food is running short, what do they do? They follow the thunder. They're following where the water is. Who leads them? They have no leader. Absolutely none. There's not one leader. They all start moving together. You can imagine what that would look like, can't you? When the children of Israel came out of Egypt with about two to three million, what would that have looked like? When they needed food, where did they get it? From God. Do you think God is guiding the wildebeest or the canoes in their search for food? Do you think he's put it in them when they hear the thunder to go in search of where that water is bringing grass? And so they begin on their trek. And along the way, lions, cheetahs, hyenas, they start feasting. And then they, let's go to the next picture. And then they come to the Mara River. And they have to cross that river a few times in their trek, in their journey. And in the Mara, in order to get across the Mara River, you can see slightly from this picture, they're coming down a steep bank. It's just like, like a cliff with worn trails in there. You try to put 1.7 or 8 million animals through there, what would happen? Some get trampled. Some end up dying, getting trampled to death. And then they jump in the water. They're not good swimmers. What happens to the young? Many of them drown. What happens to others as they get trampled? They drown. And one day, crossing that river, I don't know how many days it takes, six to 9,000 of them will die each day. Picture that. 
six to nine thousand dying crossing the river. What else is in the river? Crocodiles. Crocodiles. So they're there feasting as well. So here you have all of these animals. They're going along trying to follow the thunder, trying to follow the water, the outpouring of the water for their food. Things keep going, though. Sometimes, though, when ones get across the river, they get confused. And they turn back. Not many. They start crossing the river. What happens? They're already worn out. They're food for the crocodiles. And then, the next picture. You can see them coming down the cliffs, crossing the river, crocodiles. So now they've swam, they've been walking, maybe for days. They've swum the river. They're coming up out of the river. What do you suppose they're waiting for them there? More predators. And so they're weak in condition. You suppose many of them died there too. But it's interesting. 1.7 to start off the trip, or 1.8. But when you come to the end of the year, how many are there? About 1.3. So how many have died along the way in a year? About half a million. And yet, the zebras, the gazelles, the impalas, when they start their journey those animals start with them. Why did they start with them on their journey? It seems for protection. Because the zebras are a little better able to defend themselves. You know, they can kick, they can bite, they can uh, fight with other animals, but the wildebeest cannot. And so all they can do is try to run and to escape. And they can run up to 50 miles an hour. And they'll run in a zigzag pattern, and they're able to then sometimes escape the cheetah, the lions, the hyenas. But many of them don't make it. But the, but the zebras, the impalas, the gazelles, they know the first line of attack will not be them, but it will be the wildebeest because they're not able to defend themselves. And it seems if, if you could see in the first picture, low clear, their zebras all intermingled with them. They're traveling with them. And so time goes on. And sometimes the rains are not so great. In 1995, there was a severe drought, and many of them died even in their migration. And so it's a difficult task to go round trip, one place to another. But they keep going. And if you knew you were going to be attacked, would you turn back and try to save yourself? Turn back and there's no food to go to. 
So the, what's the only thing that drives the world of beast? And it's migration. Search for food and the sound of thunder and the hope of rain to bring them food. But along the way, many of them die of starvation, especially the mothers. The mothers are sometimes, they're carrying their next baby and they're nursing the old one. If they don't get enough food, they die. They starve to death. How do they know they starve to death? Because nobody's out there watching all the time. Scientists have taken the femurs of these animals, they've searched it, and they found there are fat reserves in the marrow of the bones. And as they've looked at many of these carcasses, the skeletons, they found there's no fat in the bones. These mothers have actually starved themselves to death trying to provide for their young. You and I have started a journey. There are lessons we can learn. 1 John chapter 5. Let's look at verses 11. Start with verse 11. First John 5, verse 11. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. You may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. If we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. John 1.12 said, As many as received him, what happens? To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So what is God's requirement to receive eternal life? Confession of your guilt as you understand it. Receiving Jesus as your Savior. And you begin on a journey. Is that not true? Do you begin that journey in fear that you won't make it? Would you turn back? Some do. They begin to walk with Jesus. They receive him as their Savior. They start the life. But some turn back. Why do you suppose that is? Let's look at John chapter 6. John 6. Beginning with verse 48. I am that bread of life, Jesus is saying. Your fathers did eat men in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. This bread that I will give 
is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So what is Jesus trying to tell them there? What is this bread of life that he's telling that they need, that they can't live without? His righteousness. And the, the words that he's speaking. It's the Bible. He's giving us the word of the Bible to eat. Look at verse then, verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Except, verily, verily, I send you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So, if somebody told you that, said you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, what would you think? Am I going to become a cannibal in order to live? But Jesus went on to explain it, but what were the disciples thinking as he was saying that? Look a little further. Verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard it, heard this said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said unto them, Doth this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should not be or who should betray him. So what was Jesus trying to tell them? If you're gonna live, what do you have to do? You have to eat food, right? If you're going to live spiritually, what has to happen? You have to eat food. And he said, the words I speak unto you, these are spirit and these are life. I would put before you one one thing first. If we're not studying the word of God and we're not praying, we're going to turn back. We're not going to keep going. There's These animals, they were being attacked constantly, all, all the time. But what kept them going, even in the midst of attack? The desire for food. The desire to follow the thunder and the rain. What is it should keep you as Christians, you and me as Christians, when we start our trip? Do we run into obstacles? Are there things that happen that Satan is using to try to discourage us? First of all, was he tries to get us to stop reading the word. And Jesus saying here, if you're not eating my flesh and drinking my blood, what happens? You have no life in you. You're just running on empty. And eventually those reserves are going to run out. It's just a fact. It's not a threat. It's not an accusation. It's just a reality. What we feast on is what we become. Isn't that true? By beholding, we become changed. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, by beholding, we become changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so as we eat his flesh 
and drink his blood, what happens then? The Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's look at John chapter 14. Verse 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter. He abide, may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So Jesus is saying, if we need help, what will he send? He's going to send the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to give you life. So if you're dying spiritually, where are you going to go for food? To the word of God and prayer to Jesus. Also, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. When you feel like you've forgotten what God wanted you to know, or you feel like you have no strength to go forward, feel like life is too difficult, too many troubles at home, too many troubles at work, too many troubles here and there, and you feel like, I can't make it. What does Jesus promise? The Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will bring back to your mind the things that God has said. There's no reason to give in and give up and let go. If we do, we know we're, we're food for the predators, just like the wildebeest. They have to keep going. When we've begun our walk, we're being led by the Spirit. And what is our motivation for following that Spirit? To see Jesus face to face. To help others see Jesus face to face. If we lose that motivation, then what's our motivation for life? What's our motivation as Christians? To serve ourselves? Did that happen in the time of Jesus? Were there those who were serving just for themselves? Desire of ages. Desire of ages, page 212. Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name, and receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will you receive. Jesus came by the authority of God, bearing his image, fulfilling his word, and seeking his glory. Yet he was not accepted by leaders in Israel. So here Jesus came. What was his message? Have faith in the promise of God. Have faith in the power of his Holy Spirit. Have faith in me as your Savior and as your high priest. Is there any reason anyone should be lost? But when he came preaching that message, what happened to the majority? Turned and walked away. Why is that? Why were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the others, why were they turning away? 
Listen. But when others should come, assuming the character of Christ, you come as if you're a follower of Jesus, but actuated by their own will and seeking their own glory, they would be received. Now think for a moment. Jesus came denying himself, not trying to glorify himself, but glorify the Father, give them hope of eternal life, turned away. Somebody come seeking their own glory, they would listen. What was the glory of the Sadducees and the Pharisees? To become rulers over the Romans. They wanted glory for themselves. They wanted power. And when people came with that message, what did they do? They listened. They listened. Because he who is seeking his own glory appeals to the desire for self-exaltation in others. Now think for a moment what that's saying. To such appeals the Jews could respond. They would receive the false teacher because he flattered their pride and sanctioning their cherished opinions and traditions. But the teaching of Christ did not coincide with their ideas. It was spiritual and demanded the sacrifice of self. Therefore, they would not receive it. They were not acquainted with God, and to them the voice through Christ was the voice of a stranger. Can that same attitude come through today by the world? You turn on the radio, you turn on the TV, you turn on whatever, look at any movie. Who's being glorified in the movies? Who's being glorified on the TV? Man, am I right? You look at any sporting event, are people trying to glorify themselves? Do people flock to hear that and watch it? By the millions. Billions are spent to allow them to go and glorify themselves. But you go and preach the message of crucifixion of self, faith in Jesus, how many multitudes are going to come and listen? What are they feasting on? A desire for self-exaltation. Is that what drives the movie industry? Is that what drives the fashion industry? To glorify self? Does Satan know that the youth want to be recognized? Does he put in front of them fashions so that they can glorify themselves and have people attracted to them? Sure. So when you're trying to teach your children or teach your church to crucify self and follow the Savior, they're not going to be following the world. You can't follow the world and live to glorify God. Because the spirit is the opposite. 
It's a spirit of self-glorification. And so what has to happen each day? What did Jesus say? If any man would come after me, what does he have to do? Has to deny himself, first of all. It's Luke 9, 26 or 23. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not an easy task with everything around you trying to draw you in to glorify self. And if you're sitting hours and hours in front of the internet or the TV, who's educating you or your children? If your children have smartphones, what are they going to see on the smartphone? I'm not here to condemn a smartphone. I'm not here to rail on it. But you know as well as I do, any child who has one who's not careful is going to come across things that they should never see. In our school systems, they're trying to teach them things they should never see or hear. Let's be realistic. You send your child to a public school and they're going to be indoctrinated in it. All the work you're doing at home Satan is going to be there to try to counteract it. And so just as with the wildebeest on their journey, there are predators, there are animals trying to divert them, trying to destroy their progress. So in the Christian walk, Satan has them for everyone. He has them for you as adults. He has them for children. He has them for church members. He has those who are seeking to come to the church. If we're not immersed in scripture and prayer, I believe Satan is going to divert many, many more. We should be praying for one another. And so, here in this Seventh-day Adventist church, are there diversions where Satan is coming in to try to separate us. In other words, he comes in to attack the weak. He comes to destroy those who are trying to follow the providential guidance of God to find food. What are some of those diversions within your own church? There is no Holy Spirit, some would say. You start preaching that, what's going to happen? What is it that writes the law of God upon your heart? The Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 16. Let's see what it says there. 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So what is Jesus saying the Holy Spirit will convict you of? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. 
Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Holy Spirit isn't going to come and glorify me. Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus in the truth. And so it's God's promise that the Holy Spirit will be then with each one of you closer than if Jesus were here on earth. Because he can dwell in you individually, speak to you. If Jesus was here, people would be flocking to find him. But what was Jesus' promise here? The Holy Spirit is just as near to you today as if Jesus was here in person. Do you believe it? Do you do you actually practice? Do you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your own life? If you don't, you're running out of That's the one is this thing stop working? This was working though. I, You're running on empty if the Holy Spirit isn't working with you. You're trying to live a spiritual life with human flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Plain and simple. And if Satan can get you to believe there is no Holy Spirit, then who are you going to pray to? What are you going to pray for? Who's going to help you if there's no Holy Spirit to guide you and Jesus isn't here? I can tell you right now, I know of a family, personally, that came to meetings in Boston 40 years ago. Were baptized. And just recently, they left the church in New Hampshire. No Holy Spirit. People came to the church Search of all there is no Holy Spirit. So you start bickering in the church. Is there a Holy Spirit or isn't there? What happens when you start fighting among one another? Who's, what's the focus of your life? Self. There's plenty of those diversions. No Holy Spirit. Women's ordination, worship of feast days. You can go on and on. And every one of these hyenas or jackals or cheetahs or lions, somebody's going to get diverted. Am I right? We all probably know somebody that has left over one of those issues. What's the only hope? Dying to self every day and giving your will to God. Praying for the Holy Spirit to not let your faith die. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 9. Actually, verse 8. For finding fault with them... He saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers 
in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regard them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now think of what that is saying. You can't write God's law in your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. So throw the Holy Spirit out of the picture. What are you trying to do? Keep the commandments with human strength. What happens when you keep failing? Eventually you say it doesn't work. You get your being diverted by the hyenas, the jackals, whatever it might be. You're getting diverted. Before long, you're not feeding on the word of God. So when you have no spiritual life in you, you become an easy prey to the devil eventually. So once you've given your heart to the Lord and you say, I want to see Jesus face to face. I want my children, my family, my friends, my neighbors. You've got to decide, is it worth the fight to keep following the leading of the Holy Spirit and not turn back? Is it worth it? Is it worth the trials and difficulties that come? Is it worth the attacks of, the, of, the, of Satan to resist them and keep going? No matter how many may fall by the side, keep going. Friends may fail you. Pastors may fail you. Others may fail you. But I guarantee you, if you pray, and you keep studying the Word of God, and you pray for the Holy Spirit, you won't have to fail. That was God's promise to Abraham when they passed through the parts of the sacrifice. God is saying, you follow me, you give yourself in my care and keeping, and I will save you. But then what does he ask us to do? Share what we have with those around us. And if truth is kept inside and never shared, it's the same as never feasting on the Word of God. You can't take the Word of God in you and do nothing with it. Just let it sit idle. It has to work a change in you, and God wants to give you opportunities to share that same goodness with others. Does that make sense? And God will give you those opportunities. If I will guarantee you, if you will pray, God will lead you to someone that you'll be able to share your knowledge of truth with. You don't have to worry, do you know everything? You don't have to be afraid, oh, I won't be able to answer their questions. Don't worry about that. God can lead you just to the right person that he has for you to witness to. Do you believe that? Here I'm long over the hill. I don't have a church anymore. What would be easy thing for me to do? Sit back, kick up my heels, and do nothing. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But I came to the conviction, if Jesus is going to come soon, 
We all have a part in the work to fulfill. We all have a work to do. Whoever it may be that God has for us, we have a work to do. And I've decided wherever I go, I'm going to look for opportunities to share with. It's my story, a book. I keep a supply of Christ's object lessons, Desire of Ages, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, and what else have I missed? What's that? Great Controversy. And you get to know these people over a period of time. I go into the Kroger's grocery store. I start talking to the workers in there. I don't try to give them a book immediately, most of them anyway. I go to Tractor Supply, Rural King, Walmart, the tire store. Every one of those places I've gone to, I've entered into conversation with the workers and given them books. I went into the tire store in the back, and these men that were changing tires, if you looked at them, you'd say, well, I'm not sure these men have any interest. Covered with tattoos. But I asked one of them, because I'd met him a number of times being in there, said, if I gave you a book on the life of Jesus, would you read it? What was his reply? Yes. To look at him, you probably wouldn't think so. Another one. Three men stand there. Another one came over and looked. I said, if I gave you the same book, would you read it? Yes. The third one came. If I gave you the book, would you read it? Yes. I didn't have the third one. I said, I'll bring it to you. So I brought it to him. And they all looked like they were interested in reading it. Went into tractor supply. There was a woman, new cashier there. And I asked her about uh, dog food. And she started talking about her troubles. Her husband had type 2 diabetes. He wouldn't change his diet in the year he was dead. She did dog grooming to help su- supply some of their extra needs. But now she had to go to work because her husband wouldn't change his diet at all. I asked her, I said, you must be in a lot of stress over all this. Yeah, if I gave you a book, would you read it? Yes. One in the doctor's office, you know, they have a LPN or a nurse that uh, checks, writes, they interview you about your medicines or this or that and everything before the doctor comes in to see you. You know what I mean. And I've been in there a few times, and once she would ask me, well, what's your meds? I said, I don't take any. You don't take any? No. You go in there the next time. What's your medications? None. You don't take any? No. So you're the only person that I've ever seen come in here that doesn't take any medication. Well, after a few times that I went in there, and the woman seemed agitated. I said, you look like you're really under stress. If I gave you a book, would you read it? Yes. She was about ready to cry. I don't know what her stress was, but I knew that she needed Jesus. Give her a book. Keep these books in your car. I have three or four in the back seat of my car all the time. What does that do to you when you see God opening the door to give you an opportunity to share his goodness with someone else. 
It encourages you to keep going and not give in and give up. No matter what the devil does, you don't have to give in and give up. There may be all of these beasts trying to destroy you. But is God stronger than all these beasts? Is there anything that the devil can throw at you that Jesus doesn't have an answer for? I don't care who it is and what they're saying. When you've given your heart to Jesus and you've studied these things through, don't let Satan steal it from you. That sounds easy, but it's not, and you know it. It takes a daily dying to self and prayer. Prayer for you and pray for your prayer for your children, your people in your church. All of these people need prayer. There are people in here today that are having trials that they're trying to bear and they feel overwhelmed. I know that's true. It happens. That's why we meet together as a church, to encourage one another. And not let Satan get us down and cause us to get discouraged. Let me read to you another quote. Well, let me read to you just a couple of texts. Matthew 23, 11. He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. But he that is greatest and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. We don't have to look for the highest place. But if you're looking, everything you're looking at is people exalting themselves. You'll be wanting to exalt yourself. It's just the way it is. By beholding, we become changed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He may exalt you in due time. Do you think when you meet Jesus around that throne, he places the crown on your head, you'll say heaven was cheap enough? He will exalt you. Isaiah 43, 2. When thou passest through the waters, the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, they shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So no matter what the problem is, how difficult it seems, God's saying, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to destroy you if your heart is given to him each day. Each morning, I have to give my will to him, receive Jesus as my Savior, and ask him to write his law in my heart. That's every day. I know if I don't do that, I'm dead in the water, and I'm going to fail. It's as sure as anything. Maybe not so that people would see it, but I know that I'll be failing. And this. Let me read this. This is a quote from C-U-M. I'm not sure what that meant. December 3, 1907. We're living in the time when every wind of doctrine is blowing, when those who think they stand are liable to fall. We're living in a time when Satan is striving to implant seeds of skepticism and infidelity in every mind. We're living in a time when error is taught so insidiously 
that the faith of many is being rapidly undermined. Every wind of doctrine will be blown. Another statement similar. The days are fast approaching when there will be great perplexity and confusion. This is from SNW. Again, it must be a, 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 an article written by Envoy. Confusion in the religious world. There will be God's many and Lord's many. Every wind of doctrine will be blowing. And Satan, clothed in the angel robes, would deceive, if possible, the very elect. Every wind is going to be blowing. So don't be surprised. That's why you need to be studying your Bible and praying every day so when these attacks of the devil come, you keep your focus. You keep going. You mothers who have children and you feel like you have no time for anything, if you're not reading the Word of God, you have no life in you. You fathers who are trying to carry on two jobs do more work than you have time in the day to do. If you don't take time for the Word of God, you're too busy. God doesn't expect you to burn the candle at both ends and in the end be lost. Have faith that just as God saves these wildebeest and allows them to be a means of giving life to all these other animals, if these 1.3 million that start, well, then with 500,000 babies, they start each year, if they weren't there, all those other animals, would, many of them would starve. They don't seem very important in the great scheme of things if you look at a wildebeest. You may not seem very important in your own eyes in the great scheme of things. But each one of us working together, we can see the latter rain power come to God's church. Because there's no other way it's going to happen without the latter rain power of the Holy Spirit we're not going to see the end come. I can guarantee you that it has to come before the end comes. And if you're praying for it, believing for it, working toward it, you could see it happen right here in Brooklyn. Other churches around you would have no idea what's going on. Is that your desire? Have I brought to you before you cunningly devise fables or is it truth and if it's truth don't let go follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and trust that God will save you no matter how difficult the way may seem take a lesson from the beast take a lesson from the birds. They toil toil not, neither do they spin. The flowers, God arrays them with beauty unlike anything else. Give God the opportunity to prove that his promises are true and not one of them will fail. 